Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Aida, whose mission is to help people feel seen, heard and loved through her art and for whom life is a copy machine of one's thoughts. Hey, Aida, it's lovely to have you here. It's so lovely to be here. I'm excited. Yes, I'm excited too. I have to say I'm a bit nervous even because this is my first recording since July and it's now December. So it's been a while and I'm curious if it will take me some time to get back into the groove, but I feel pretty good about it. So let's just dive in. <laughs> I know virtually nothing about you, which is fascinating and really interesting. And you responded to a question I put out there uh, in the universe, just like, hey, who would be interested to be on my podcast to talk about relating to self. And you replied to that and you were like, yes, I would love to be there. And the only thing I know is that you call yourself a spiritual artist. And I'm curious how you came to name yourself that way. And I'm also curious about why you wanted to be on this podcast. I love your second question. Well, both. The, I'll start with the why. And it goes... I mean, I truly believe everything in life is a mirror to us, to our inner reality. And one of my missions with art and but also with my own being, my, my existence is to help people know that, that the better you take care of your inner environment, the better your outer environment will be. And I've been through a lot in life and I've done tons of inner work and it never stops but where I'm the station I'm at now is all about enjoying life which is just a whole new muscle for me to get to know and build so that's kind of my why of I can't I love getting to know myself and I love getting to know other people and I wish more people took the time to get to know themselves and did not distract themselves in, in this modern day life, which is pretty easy to do. That's my why. And also you have great energy. So just from what I've seen, like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And then why I, I call myself a spiritual artist, it's a bit of a long and short story somehow. I have been creating art for seven years But the way I turned to art was because of a trauma and which was I was semi-paralyzed for about four and a half years. And that was the worst thing that happened to me, but also the best thing that happened to me because it kind of forced me talking about right distractions and getting to know yourself. I literally couldn't go anywhere. So when I was in one of my chapters of the paralysis, because I had two major episodes, which we don't need to go into, I was also applying for jobs and, and I just could, people would ask me why you? And I said, I have no idea. I genuinely did not know why anyone should hire me. 
But then I, so obviously I was in a state of depression and I just turned to my fingerprint because at the same time, doctors were telling me I'll likely never use my hands again. And I said, God must have created me with some unique thing. At least I have a unique fingerprint. So if I just focus on that, maybe I'll, it'll unfold what else is unique about me. So that's how I just first, so I started finger painting. And that was my first interaction with art. That was in 2014, I believe. Fast forward to today, this is my first year as a full-time artist. And it took a lot of breakdowns to be able to call myself an artist. And then a lot of breakdowns to then transition to impact artist. And then finally to spiritual artist. And the reason I do art is my mission, I say, is to help people feel seen, heard and loved. Because at the end of the day, that's what we as individuals and humans crave to be seen, to be heard, to be loved. So I use art for that and I channel my art and I use Reiki on my art. I'm a Reiki master. Uh, I've been doing it for 11 years. So all this combination of my personality and how I even create the art or get art was really because of my spirituality. So I felt very awkward at first saying spiritual artist. I remember on LinkedIn, I changed my title to spiritual artist maybe five times and removed it five times <laughs> because I was like, oh, people are going to think I'm cuckoo or, or what the hell does that mean? So that's kind of the long, short version of it. Uh, I'm a spiritual artist because I channel my art and I know art can be much more than an object. It can be a tool for healing and everything is frequency. Similar to you hear a, sound, a song, it could either help in your healing or not. Nothing is neutral. So my art is meant for healing and empowerment. And I will stop there. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Wow. Oh, what a story. I'm fascinated, obviously, by the way in which you were forced, perhaps, to relate to yourself much more intensely by what happened to you, this semi-paralysis. And so I would like to start there. When you entered this state of semi-paralysis or, or before that, how would you say your relationship to yourself was? The first thought was, I'd like to explain what my relationship to others were, because that was my focus. I really, I felt I want, needed to constantly and wanted to constantly prove myself to others. And I was super A-type and I mean, I was in college and wearing a suit. <laughs> why i never wore jeans i thought just it sounds so silly but i thought it was just for young people who i don't know i can't even describe it but i would say i was i did not process a lot of my life realities and i focused so much on being the best of the best whether at class whether it's uh, I was also working at an international development firm. So I worked 40 hours a week, studied 40 hours a week and partied 40 hours a week. And I thought sleep was for the week. That kind of rhymes. So I don't think I am very proud of who I was. I was always still a kind person and sweet, I would say. But my self-worth was really determined based on how people saw me. And that included like certain titles, right? Being seen and etc. So the arthritis episode, the semi-paralysis really woke me up on many things. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I imagine. I mean, obviously, I recognize what you speak about. I think in some ways we've all been there in like, you know, uh, proving ourselves to the world. And then this state of semi-paralysis, I imagine, had as a result that you were forced to go inwards and you spent a lot of time with yourself, probably just by default. And I'm wondering how you started changing that relationship with yourself. Like, was there anything that specifically happened or was there any insight you had that made you decide or intentionally move into creating a better relationship with yourself while in that paralysis? Or was it more like just a result of spending so much time with yourself and automatically that unfolded? So I'll start with saying, I think I attracted my semi-paralysis because I kept saying, and what caused the semi-paralysis was arthritis. And arthritis is essentially having inflammation in your joints. And if it, if it is extreme, then that leads to lack of mobility. I think I attracted it because I remember when I was doing all this stuff, I kept saying, I just want a break. I just want a break. I just want a break. repeatedly. And I was actually miserable, you know, not, not depressed. I just wasn't happy because I was in this rat race. So I, I remember it just hit me that I'm like, wow, my thoughts are powerful. I mean, this is the only thing that would have stopped me from going to these three things because I'm a very determined woman. Like if I see something, I go for it. And it would take it would take something big to stop me from going to work and to going partying and blah blah blah. So I was realizing that I just said, okay, this is my next challenge of how do I get out of this situation? And that's when I I learned about my thoughts, my words, my actions. Those are are what really make who I am, not just <laughs> you know what degree I have or which friends I'm. I'm with or circles I'm part of. I'm curious though, sorry for interrupting. When you say I learned about this idea of like thoughts, words, and then actions, where did you learn this? How did you learn this? I mean, by realizing that I kept saying I need a break and then I got this. Hmm. Like I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't discover law of attraction. I didn't discover the secret or all these things then I think after I was like huh something about thoughts words and actions then I started researching and then of course you know as you know the saying when the student is ready the teacher or the master appears I really believe in that I had one night where I remember I I was contemplating uh, taking my life because it was just so miserable of not being able to move. And, and I was 20 years old. That's pretty young. So I'm, I, I was debating on like how to do it. And then an angel appeared and she told me, it's not your time. I said, okay, well, help me get out of this <laughs> situation. <laughs> you know, I'm saying it more casually now, but it was, it was quite a beautiful experience and an intense one. And then we made an agreement that I need to walk again. And I, there were obviously no words exchanged. It was all energy. And I got, it was just clear that I needed to shift my thoughts, my words, my actions. So what I started doing from then, because it was done deal. I just knew it. It's, it's my formula for life is know what you want, 
believe you can have it, and then let it go. So our agreement is that I'm going to walk again. So I did everything possible to notice how I was thinking, how I was speaking, and what I was doing. So I'll give you concrete examples. I would stop saying that I am not sick today, or I am sick. I would just say I'm on my way to health. And then, for example, instead of taking the elevator to go down, like one floor, I would take the stairs, but it'll take me probably an hour and a half or 40 minutes, depending on the state of condition I was in, where for an average person, it'll take them like a minute or less, maybe. And I would do it with such joy, such joy. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going down. And <laughs> and it, that was tough. Like, that's just, it's, it's training to find joy. And then I remember some nights I'd want to go out with friends, but I actually couldn't. Right. So I would imagine, okay, if I could go out, what would I dress up in? So I'd find the outfit and I'll just hang it. So those are kind of the thoughts, words, and actions that I started implementing. And then of course, oh my God, I started by serendipity meeting an expert in law of attraction an acupuncturist who could help me, who was also a therapist who could get me out of my depression. And, you know, things, again, when the student is ready, the teacher appears or the master appears. I don't know what the right one is. Mm. That brings me to the other thing you said in the beginning that struck me as really interesting, that your current path leads you to enjoying life. This idea of enjoyment as like a, a core metric almost of what life is about. And I had a conversation with a friend recently in which she also expressed this idea, but then she phrased it as pleasure, like, you know, what is actually pleasurable. And so I'm really curious when, when you think about, if you take that as a measure of your life, how do you navigate creating what is enjoyable for you? So I'll start with Abraham Hicks. Uh, I don't know if you know her, but she's a teacher and she talks about your, our feelings, our emotions are our guidance system. And if, so, for example, if something feels good, then that's a positive indicator. And if it doesn't, then it's not. So I'll start with that and trying to think of how to answer this question, because this is a new territory for me. Everything is a muscle. So trusting is a muscle. Being a victim is a muscle. It's all training and as they say where attention goes energy flows so with enjoyment i'm just doing the smallest things it's not anything grand actually it's what do i feel like wearing today and then actually taking a moment to soak that in when i wear it and actually maybe rub my leg and just be like "Ooh, i feel sexy today <laughs> you know and then it's cooking that meal that just feels so good. And then as I build my enjoyment muscle more, I get to actually receive clients who acquire my art, who are just such a joy to work with. And then it goes into, you know, it just kind of appreciates. So I'm still trying to unlearn a lot of things in order for me to live in true joy, constant joy. And, it's, and, and we can go into this whole rabbit hole around what's the difference between happiness, joy, pleasure, bliss. And I'm not looking for constant happiness. For me, it's contentment. 
is how can I just be content with where I am? And knowing that contrast will always be there. You know, in this case, like I'm, I'm in love with someone who can't be with me or doesn't want to be with me. And that's not obviously a great thing. So what do I focus on? Do I focus on that loss? Or do I focus on, again, the outfit that I'm going to wear today and the painting that I'm going to create that's going to nourish me and our conversation, et cetera? That's beautiful. And I, I resonate so much with this. It's something I've talked about a lot also, this idea of both the finding the joy in the mundane, like just making myself a cup of tea and feeling amazing about the fact that I gave myself this experience of like having some fresh tea. Mm. And also the idea of focusing our attention on what's real in the now. What, what is real for me right now, right here? Because the, the idea of like being in love with someone who doesn't want to be with you, that's kind of like, unless that person is with you right now and is rejecting you in this moment, mm. it's just a story in your mind, right? If you sit in your studio and you're painting or you're having a cup of tea, And then you think about this, oh, there is this person somewhere who I actually feel quite attracted to, but they don't want to be with me. I feel those kind of things are stories. And the less I engage in storytelling inside of my own mind means that the more I, I remain in the now, I remain in my experience, in my body. And the more I feel this mundane joy, this very simple appreciation of being alive in this moment right now. And so I'm curious about if you actively also practice stepping away from those stories in your mind. A hundred percent. And thank you for framing it in a way that was so digestible because as I said, like being a victim is also muscle. And I was used to, I was used to being that. And I truly believe that life is a copy machine to your thoughts or, or whatever, a scanner. I don't know what the right English word is. But <laughs> so if I kept on focusing on that story, then I made my reality that story. And we're not just in love, but with clients, but with friends. And it just, life is, is very simple sometimes. I think Actually, I'm going to stand by it. I think life is simple. We make it quite complex. So I'm trying to design my new story. And that's where, again, we go back to enjoyment. And the word bliss can't leave me alone. It's, I'm trying to design my new story to be around bliss. Like, how can I actually create this art piece and have it easily find its right home? And it gets to be easy. How can I allow that to be? How can I actually have my next man just see me and know that he wants to celebrate life together? How can I allow that? Because one thing I stopped saying is I deserve better. I don't believe in that sentence anymore. I actually believe in the sentence, I am ready for more. Because we are all deserving. I don't believe a single person is not deserving of love or whatever other thing. Uh, I believe it's a matter of, are you ready or not? And it keeps going back to the muscles that we're training. You can't run a marathon overnight. Beautiful. There's this amazing um, story I heard. Have you heard of the story around if you double a penny for 30 days, 
how much the amount is. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. It's, there's there's another version of this with the rice grains on a chessboard, and like if you take one rice grain and you put it on a chessboard, and then for every what do you call that like position you have on the chessboard, you double the rice grain. The amount of rice you have is just staggering. And I think that it's fascinating because we're constantly going back to self, right? We're constantly evolving, and and evol- evolution doesn't mean positive or negative. It's just it could be either. And that's why I think nothing is neutral. So it's either you're building to where you actually want to be your higher self or a better version of yourself or a version that isn't better. And then you talk, then we can go into the rabbit hole of what is better and that's subjective, etc. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm really interested in exploring this idea further with you of Basically, I would call it habits, right? You call them muscles. You need to train your muscles. You can't run a marathon in a day. That's absolutely true. And so I wonder, have you created like a set of habits or processes or rituals for yourself to do something you do every day, like a routine or something that helps you build those muscles? And what does that look like? So habits are everything. I think, I believe we are creatures of habits. That's it. And the habits that train whichever muscle that we end up using, right? So you could have a habit that fosters your victim mentality, which is looking at old pictures of, of the person who rejected you in the morning. And that just fosters like, shit, I'm not enough. Excuse my French. <laughs> so, okay, habits. What do I do? I am working on meditating every day, at least 10 minutes in the morning. So first new habit actually is I do not check my phone in the morning. That is a game changer. Oh my goodness. I've been trying to do that for a while and so proud of myself for doing that now because I'm not reactive to the world. Second is as soon as I wake up, I thank, I thank God. I thank my angels. I thank just myself even for, for another day. And I love that. And I usually get, my visions of art pieces I'm supposed to create as soon as I wake up or at four. So I usually wake up at 4 a.m. So I usually wake up and, and go and paint. So I try to paint. So after I meditate, I go and paint before the world is up and I channel my art and then I go work out. So that by, by probably 8 a.m. I've finished all this. I've painted, I've worked out, I've had a meditation. And then honestly, every, after that, I'm trying to figure out what do I do with my day? (laughs) (laughs) And that's where it's kind of evolving. I'm trying to see what kind of life do I want to design? And I have that luxury to be able to do that. And I'm very grateful, but I don't have any other firm habits. I do like to sleep early. And then, you know, with habits, we have to talk about boundaries and temptations Mm -hmm. and you know, what are non-negotiables. So I'm trying to, during COVID, it was easy to foster habits, right? And not break them because you had less distractions. Now I live in New York. I used to live in LA during COVID, like the height of the pandemic. And New York is an alive city at night. And I'm not a night person. I like to be in bed. Yesterday I was in bed by 8.30 p.m. (laughs) Slept at nine. So I'm trying to figure out my boundaries around nighttime and meeting people. 
So my habits are having to change my night habits, right? Because of socializing, but this is where I'm having a question with myself of what is best for me and can I actually design a life where I meet people before my bedtime? <laughs> because that's where I'm, I'm happiest is when I sleep early and I can get up and do my 4 a.m. ritual. Mm, beautiful. I love it. I'm 100% with you when it comes to it being easy during COVID to maintain the routines and the habits. I've I felt exactly the same thing. I've never been so focused on my own practice as I was during lockdown. And then obviously uh, this summer I was traveling and a lot of my practices just dissolved naturally. You know, sometimes I try to keep up, but it's hard. And then what I do, and I think that's my most important practice is practicing compassion. Just this idea of, you know, yes, I meditate every day, but I haven't done so for the past three weeks. And that's okay. You know, I can, I can be compassionate because it was just hard. <laughs> and then somehow that changed everything because years ago when I was trying to build, for example, a meditation practice, I would scold myself if I missed a day or if I stopped for a while. And I found that to be quite counterproductive because as soon as you do that, you kind of like almost create a disgust for the practice itself. Whereas now with this compassionate behavior towards myself, just saying like, yep, this is just how it is. I find it very easy to step back into it as well. And so I'm curious if this idea of compassion or caring for yourself in times that you cannot hold your boundaries or that you can't keep your agreements with yourself is something that you've also discovered or, or practiced. Hmm. The word that came to mind is how can I, is selfishness. I'm trying to put the link between compassion and selfishness, which is I'm trying to be more selfish, which means in a positive way, which means putting myself first. So I'm pr pretty harsh on myself, I would say in general, and I could do with a little bit more compassion to myself when I am figuring it out. You know, I get quite frustrated with myself because I want everyone to be happy And I also, I'm very torn between being a serious introvert and hermit <laughs> versus being someone who socializes. Because when I'm out, I'm really out and I love people and I love stories and just energy. But then the more I also actually connect with myself and my spirituality, the more I absorb energy and the more just cleansing I need to do which is, it's just a hard balance, to be honest. So I'm figuring that out and I don't really, I need to be more compassionate with myself. That's what, that's for sure. <laughs> well, there's no need, but I think it would help. I think it's a, it's a good practice to have for sure. I think it's almost, it is almost a need, at least in my eyes, because if I'm not kind to myself, then what's the point? You know, I, I meditate so I can, you know, at the end of the day, I truly believe we do things in order to foster a certain feeling. Mm -hmm. Like I want to feel alive. And if I do meditation and it becomes a chore and it doesn't feel good anymore, then going back to like our feelings, our, our, our emotions, our, our navigation system, then I've kind of lost it. Yeah. I also wanted to say that I very much resonate with your struggle between the, let's say, inner introvert and inner extrovert. 
I've been trying to figure this out for years now. How can I nurture this deep, beautiful connection with myself mm. while at the same time have other people in my life and interact with them in beautiful ways? And one of the things I've noticed in the past year or year and a half is also something like I am a lot more precise about who or what kind of people I want to hang out with. And I feel indeed like as I become more aware of what's happening inside of myself and as I become more maybe sensitive to what happens in me with others, there's just a lot of people that I find hard to be around or that I then, like you said, you have to like cleanse afterwards. There's a lot of like stuff to process. And I tend to think that that's because maybe I'm not very good yet at holding all my boundaries in the moment. I think maybe if I would be like completely at ease with holding all my boundaries in the moment, then that wouldn't be necessary afterwards because I wouldn't absorb whatever, you know, words or expressions or behavior that they have that I find difficult. And now that's still the case. So that's also one of my, one of my big questions right now. And so I'm, I'm curious about where you are in that process, because obviously you're in New York, which is in my mind, I've never lived there, but it's like the antithesis of an environment that is helping you create more space for yourself and your connection to self. So how do you see this evolving in the coming months even? Like, what's your plan, basically? So whenever I'm trying to um, explore a behavior change or to manifest anything, I always ask who is in the driver's seat of myself. So is it five-year-old me? Is it 14-year-old me who is kind of seeking approval from others? Or is it 32-year-old me who is present me who's pretty comfortable with herself and knows what she likes? I love fine dining. I love nature. I love good conversations. That I'm so good with. 32-year-old me does not like partying at night, does not like the whole kind of college drinking environment. I mean, I love good music and dancing, but just there's a certain element. So I have to start with taking a moment and connecting with a person who's observing me thinking and question who is in the driver's seat. And then if it is 14-year-old me who's looking for approval, then I have a conversation with her and I show her okay, look, this is actually what will make you happy because you will go to that party and you will fee leave feeling depleted. Hmm. Though you had moments of pleasure and joy, no doubt, you will overall leave depleted and ask yourself, why did you do this? And I'll tell you why. It's because you were trying to seek approval from a place of lack rather than fullness. Hmm. Great. So we have that conversation and then I will show her, okay, we actually love restaurants and eating. So let's think of who also enjoys this. And if no one enjoys this, let's take ourselves out and design the life that we want to live. And as law of attraction has it, I attract people who enjoy this lifestyle too. And I've been meeting them left and right. It's just a matter of me 
talking first to that 14 year old because she will be heard if you do not listen to her. And every, we all have our, those inner ages within us that are dominant. And it's because there's an unresolved, um, it doesn't have to be a trauma, but there's an unresolved issue, topic. So after that conversation, I get, it just gets to be easy. I get to have what I want, which is happening now. And I do make one exception a week where I will go out at night because there's a comedy show, for example, this Sunday that my friend is having at 9 p.m. You know, I will have to nap during the day <laughs> and I don't drink caffeine. So I'm trying to figure that out. So that's Beautiful. kind of where that's my approach. Yeah, I, I love what you said about like liking fine dining and then taking yourself out to restaurants. Like I have done that so many times. It's <laughs> one of my preferred practices. And sometimes I plan it ahead. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to this city and there's this amazing restaurant. I'm going to like make a booking and then I'm going to treat myself. But then sometimes I also now do it spontaneously. Like I was in Lisbon this summer and I was just going for a walk and I was in a park and then my eye fell on this beautiful building. I was like, hey, what's that? And then I saw the name of the place and I'm like, oh my God, this is this restaurant that I researched a couple of months ago. And then my first thought was something like, yeah, so I will try to book this place maybe. Like maybe next week, who knows, they might have a place. And I'm like, wait, no, why don't I just go in right now? Mm. Even with the clothes that I'm wearing, maybe they're not appropriate for this kind of place. I don't care. I'm just going to go. So I just went in and asked for a table and voila, I had a wonderful <laughs> meal. And I, I enjoy those moments so much when you just like tune into what you really desire in the moment and then you allow yourself to have it. Ooh, that felt sexy for sure. You know, when you say that story, what comes up for me is intuition. Mm -hmm. I, so I'm an intuitive and you get, you can, we all have intuition, but again, it's a matter of whether we train it or not. And I've had the best days when I truly just follow my intuition and that links, right? Sponta spontaneity, serendipity, synchronicity, all play with you when you're tapped into, into your intuition. It's like, even when I drive, I'm like, I feel like I should take a left now, even <laughs> though my route usually tells me take a right. And hundred percent of the times it's, there was either an accident on the other, on the right side where I usually go, or, or you find a restaurant that you've been looking for, you forgot the name and you're like, huh, it's right here. It's perfect. Someone just canceled. It's for me. <laughs> you know? Amazing. I love that. There's one more thing I would like to talk to you about before we round off, and that is spaces. I have found that one of the most simple and powerful ways of changing how I feel about myself and how I show up to the world is by changing the space in which I'm in. I have this relationship to obviously like the volume, the, the architecture, light, temperature, all these kind of things. But one thing I recently discovered when I came back from my travels last month, I entered my apartment, my space where I've done all this work of connecting to myself during COVID and just sitting on the chair where I was journaling a lot and thinking a lot about my relationship with myself, just sitting in that chair, I feel changed my relationship to myself again, made it easier to kind of be kind, be compassionate. And so I was like, wow, just like being here in this space again, where this habit already existed, kind of brought that back. So since you're an artist, 
I'm very curious about your relationship to spaces, especially spaces of creation. I imagine you have like a preferred place to paint or maybe even different places. And I'm curious as to how you feel spaces change the way you show up to the world and how you relate to yourself. Lovely question. I'll go back to what I said is that nothing is neutral and everything is energy and either takes you closer to where you want to go or further away. And that's very much with space. And it's funny, you're asking this question at the time where I, I have another sandboxer who has, uh, who's a professional in organizing homes and spaces. And he is working on my space as we speak. The reason I needed that is I just felt it was a reflection of my internal turmoil of what was happening with my life with a couple of personal things. And I was like, this is not conducive. I need, I can't have the space control me. I need to shift that relationship and design it again, like design it the way that can help me. What, what is fascinating, I did work with an intuitive interior designer once and there was, so, without telling her my stories, she, she immediately could tell that, hey, you have a problem in the men department or <laughs> that's interesting, you know, and, and it's because I ended up compiling a lot of just stuff in the subconsciously in, um, in the, I don't know, they use a chart of, okay, this, this area is usually the power room. This area is where uh, it's around relationships. And I just compiled a lot of stuff in the relationship section. I didn't even know that that was the relationship section. So that was fascinating. But now, I mean, when I create art, everything is so conscious of what I'm doing. So even what I wear, the painting tells me what to wear, what scents I put on, um, like candles, what flowers do I have around it? It's the painting tells me <laughs> we, because it matches with its personality. So space is critical. And I think every person should take a moment to observe because we do a lot of things unconsciously with our space a lot and there's beautiful rituals around cleansing it etc i will say like where i position my art pieces and even people who who acquire my art it's very intentional on where we put it and why that space and it's interesting going to our habits have you heard of habit stacking Yes, I man. learned about it through, uh, through um, atomic habits. And what we do is every time, for example, a, a person who bought a painting walks into the space of the painting, the agreement is you look at the painting and you're going to trigger uh, a habit, which in our case is usually an affirmation. Or if like, so I had someone who's 72 years old, just buy a painting and his, his intention was around manifesting love. So I said, every time you walk into that space, we put it in an essential space in his bedroom. And every time you walk in there, you're like, I'm so happy my love has found me, you know? So that's, that's all I have to say. I just, I feel like it's a space that I, a funny space I, I am still learning so much about. And oh, I have to say, sorry, this last thing of the land where we stand that has so much energy and information that I'm just starting to learn about because I work a lot with the earth elements when I paint 
And a big part of my motivation now to create new series of works is around nature conservation. So we cannot dismiss when we talk about space, it's like, what land are we standing on? Because there are histories, history, like years and years for us to just, that are absorbed into the earth for us to learn about and also cleanse sometimes and heal. So I will stop there. <laughs> Thank you, Aida. That's beautiful. Yeah, I'm with you on the healing part. That's the work. Before we head off, I have one final question for you. And that is always a bit of a, a curveball, I guess. But I'm curious if there is any question that I haven't asked you that you would have really liked to answer. Uh, I guess the two questions came about is like, what is what are you craving? And then what's your relationship with God or how you, how do you define God? Um, those are the two questions that came about instantly to my head. <laughs> and do you want to answer them? Uh, what I'm craving, I guess, is learning how to be fully complete with myself. So I think I've always said I crave being in a beautiful, committed partnership. And now I'm so excited to feel so full that I'm overflowing with enough to share. And I'm getting there. Because from that space, I think anything can happen. And if it, if by that time I decide I do want a partnership, then voila, I've come. You know, I really believe that. So that's what I'm craving and excited to experience. And then what is my relationship with God or what is God? There's so many different words you can say. It's universe, source, etc. For me, I, I'm comfortable with the word God. I was raised as a Muslim tried to practice Christianity, <laughs> didn't work out for me. Then I realized that God is everything and everywhere. And I can't believe that there isn't something bigger than me. So that keeps me going. Like whether I'm, and I keep seeing miracles in the smallest and biggest ways that I can't not believe of something bigger than me. And again, I'm not talking about religion or anything. I'm talking about something just bigger. Than me. That's it. <laughs> beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. That was a beautiful question. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Many things come to mind, but um, I, I think we should just call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can have many more hours of conversation about many things. Um, but Ida, I want to thank you for showing up. I want to thank you for responding to my call. And I want to thank you for sharing all the beautiful thoughts you had on this conversation. Thank you for creating this beautiful space and getting people to relate to themselves, hopefully a bit better and see the beauty. Yes. One final thing, where can people who listen to this podcast find you or interact with you, maybe see your art? Uh, it is at aidamurad.com. So it's A-I-D-A-M-U-R-A-D dot com or instagram muradaida it's all on the website great then i will make sure that the links to these places are in the description of the podcast so people just have to click to get there <laughs> easy <laughs> Ida, thank you so much thank have a beautiful day you too ciao if you've enjoyed this conversation please subscribe to the podcast you can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. 
And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks.